Well, hello and uh, welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Maui, Hawaii. And uh, thanks very much for being with us, making it a point to join us today, whether live or maybe you're listening to a replay in any event. We're glad to have you here. The home page for these programs, heard every Sunday, 20 hours GMT, 1 o'clock in the West Coast, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast of the United States. The home page for all of this is theagelesswisdom.com, and I don't talk about it as often as I should, but for those of you who are looking at the webpage in front of you as you listen to this, down in the lower right-hand corner, you'll see uh, four links, actually, four hyperlinks, a big button that says, Help Us Change the World, and that takes us to our affiliate site, FocusedPassion.com. Also, right below it, you'll see hyperlinks for the website that hosts this program, the Mystery School website, The Ageless Wisdom. Below that, an audio archive for all of these programs going back a little over one year now. And at the bottom, a link that will take you to the blog where all of our newsletters are archived. And uh, you can make comments as well. I, I hardly ever even mention it, so there's not much there in the way of comments, but it really would be great if uh, you clicked on that link. Or if you just want to type into the browser, the www.theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com, you'll get to the same place. And... Uh, be able to see the whole archive, all of the past newsletters and the various topics. And those links are good. Those programs are archived as well. So go to the newsletter archive, and you can also make a comment at the newsletter archive. So that's the deal with that. Let's talk about our theme today, which is karma, known in the West as the basic law of cause and effect. And I'd like to talk about this a little more deeply than than usual because, well, how can I say this? I guess my concern is that much of what is known about karma in the Western world is incomplete, if not inaccurate. It's uh, misrepresented. It's misunderstood. It's a uh, shallow uh, interpretation of the meaning of karma, which is an old Sanskrit word. Um, I did a little research this week, and I find it interesting that um, if you look at Wikipedia or at various blog sites or websites, people will describe it as a Buddhist concept. Uh, of course, Buddhism spun out of Hinduism or Brahmanism, uh, as did Taoism and Shintoism and many others. Karma is not unique to Buddhism or any one of these Eastern philosophies. Karma, like yoga, uh, predates all religion, predates Hinduism. It's basic Eastern philosophy. It goes back to some of the earliest sutra writers to um, the, the very first yoga writings by Patanjali, um, 
you could debate how that name is pronounced, by the way, Patanjali or Patanjali. And uh, it's just a, I want to say universal, but as far as the Eastern world goes, it is common to all of the quasi-religious traditions of uh, of the uh, Asian world. And besides, religion in Asia is not anything like religion in the West. Uh, I, I am stunned sometimes at how little uh, religious people know, um, Christians, Jews, Muslims, about Eastern philosophy. I think, generally speaking, Muslims have a better sense because they're closer to it. And, of course, uh, the spread of Christianity was largely limited, at least in the initial few hundred years, to the Western world because of the uh, Roman Empire. The Roman Empire made it possible for Christianity, which is basically a spin-off of Judaism, of course. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And, uh, a prophet and of course some Christians even believe the only son of God but um, that whole incredible explosive growth of Christianity was made possible by the existence of the Roman Empire and then of course the Ottoman Empire of the Turks hundreds of years later spread Islam into those areas of Eastern Europe and the Western world. But to compare religion East and West, my point is, Eastern religion is not really religion as Westerners think of it. It's not about salvation. It's not about uh, the soul having fallen and man living in sin. And so, when Westerners attempt to understand karma, and reincarnation, those two principles are inextricably linked. Westerners, even scholarly Westerners, tend to look at karma through a lens of redemption, as if um, it's just a, a variation on the theme of needing to save or redeem this fallen soul. It's really not the case. Uh, Hinduism, or Brahmanism, as it used to be called, and Buddhism and Taoism in China, and, and to some extent Shintoism and Confucianism, uh, these are folk wisdoms. Um, Asian common sense, if you will, about how to escape suffering and how to develop the divine within while you're still here on earth instead of waiting till you die to find out whether you made the cut and are you know in the three monotheistic religions of the west Islam, Judaism and Christianity you're headed for heaven or you're going to hell do you make the cut well in eastern philosophy it's a very different understanding religion is about how can I attain nirvana or samadhi or satori, a state of expanded awareness 
how can I find the Buddha nature or the divine, the Christos, if you will, the divine within me, right here, right now, before I die? It's a very, very different approach. I remember hearing in Alan Watts, this is a bit of an aside, but I'll share it with you. I remember hearing years ago uh, Alan Watts talking about the three types of religion in the world. And this is not the only model or paradigm for looking at religion, but certainly is a good one. And he talked about uh, Islam, the, the, um, the idea of the Muslim religion based on the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, and Judaism, based on the teachings of Moses, who, remember, was raised as an Egyptian prince, so that's largely Hermetic, or Egyptians, the gypsies. Uh, don't tell Jews that Moses was a gypsy, though. They, <laughs> they don't like to hear that said quite that way. And then, of course, Christianity, which uh, is a spinoff of, uh, of Judaism, um, Actually, all three religions trace themselves to this, a single individual, to uh, an earthly being, a man named Abraham. And now they're all fighting over the same spot in the Middle East. It's mine. No, it's mine. Uh, it's really uh, 3,000, 3,500 years of sibling rivalry. You know, it's a little weird. But... This is one of the three kinds of religion, that life is about salvation, that there was a fall, that um, human beings are inherently bad, that their souls are soiled, and they have to be cleansed and redeemed if they are to share the ground of God, or sit at the right hand, or go to heaven, however you want to say it. But Watts pointed out that Eastern philosophy can really be divided into two other areas. Besides the model of redemption in the West, in these three religions I mentioned, you have in Chinese Taoism and Confucianism an idea that life is a living thing. Life is a unified organism and needs to be understood from point of view of harmony that everything is a part of everything that there is just a universe a a single life and that this life manifests magnificently and beautifully in all these unique and diverse forms and looks at the paradox of the one and the many as a single life, what the Egyptians used to call the one thing. And then Hinduism, out of which spun Buddhism and um, Shintoism and Jainism and, and other, I don't want to say lesser religions, less popular religions, um, is really based on the idea that life is a drama or a grand play. Even Shakespeare has a line, I think, in Hamlet about all the world is a stage and we are but players. And we have our entrances and the characters and roles that we play, and then we have our exits. And so those would be, according to Watts, one way of looking at the religions of the world uh, as an act of salvation or redemption in the West, 
as a living thing, as one life, as we find in ancient Hermetic or Egyptian and also in Confucianism and Taoism and then Hinduism and Buddhism and some of the others um, in that part of the world, India and Sri Lanka and Ceylon and Indonesia and that part of the world is more about life being a play. So salvation, a living organism, a single living life, or a drama that needs to be acted out. Now, two of those three involve karma. All right. We actually have the concept in the West, but it is much more rigid, this idea of sin and atoning for the sin. Few people that use the word atonement will recognize that the word really also says at one and that to redeem, to save, uh, to be crucified, and to be resurrected even, is all part of a process of returning to the divine source. But to atone or to at one is to go back to the oneness of things, but there is a purification uh, that has to take place. In alchemy, this has classically been described as the lifting of lead to gold. Or who remembers the myth of Rumpelstiltskin who could spin straw into gold? Or uh, Christ uh, changing water into wine? Or myths of the redeemed prostitute that becomes somehow a virgin? Um, all of these are tales uh, of metamorphosis, of transfiguration or transformation, of illumination and saving, again, what is good about man. For God created man in its own image and then somehow we messed up. Depends on <laughs> the story you believe. Uh, you know, snakes and apples in the Garden of Eden and the Western traditions um, again, uh, Islam honors that old Jewish tale, but there are similar creation myths found uh, all over the world that have to do with some sort of fall in the form. Even the great philosopher Pythagoras uh, was guilty of a kind of binary thinking where he actually taught that the number two was evil because it was not the number one. And the number two had to be lifted, as all numbers did, eventually to the number one, because the number one has multiple meanings. There is the separated one, this one, as opposed to that one, but the number one also, even in Plato's time, referred to the totality, the whole one, the whole thing, right? The one life, the one thing. So the idea that anything material is bad is like an extreme misinterpretation of the beautiful paradox of the one and the many, of a creator creating a creation populated by creatures that are not only different, 
but and diverse, but 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 absolutely unique. And how can this paradox be? We've touched on that in the past. We've talked about it in some detail. Uh, the paradoxes of, of philosophy, particularly this grand paradox of the one and the many, and and I'm not going to dwell on it today other than to say it's resolved by a third element that stands in the middle. And um, depending on which trinity you're looking at, um, what really stands in the middle between, simply said, spirit and matter, between God and man, is consciousness or the soul. And that third element that stands in the middle is what allows the one to manifest in so many uh, multiple and diverse, unique forms without being diminished or lessened, even affected in any way at all. Uh, basic paradox, we'll revisit it in the future. My point here is to let you know that because of the context of human beings being basically bad, made by God but evil because Eve ate the apple and the snake made her do it and then Adam had to suffer and that whole myth which again to the esotericist is quite complex but taken literally it's very hard to understand and so when the westerner tries to understand the concept of karma or cause and effect they see it through that lens and that's my initial appeal to you today is if we're going to look at the concept of karma as cause and effect found in the golden rule as described by uh, Moses actually about 4300 years ago and by Confucius about 2500 years ago uh, both East and West, talked about this golden rule. On my website, theagelesswisdom.com, I have, I think, 13 or 14 variations of the golden rule, from Buddhism and Hinduism, from Patanjali, and, and uh, of course, uh, Moses and, and Christ, and many Mary. It's a universal concept that this idea of karma, and I'd like to talk about it that way, and that means outside of this context that anything material is bad. And that's why a fundamentalist Christian cannot wear makeup or go to the movies or shake their booty, you know, dance. And sex is only for procreation and all of that because of this rigid idea that Anything that is not God is less than God, even if made by God. And even if nothing can exist outside of God, it's still bad. Don't, you know, don't touch yourself there. And uh, you're not supposed to do drugs, and you're not supposed to gamble, and you know, anything that's fun and <laughs> pleasurable is evil to the rigid fundamentalist raised in either a Jewish or Christian or a Muslim uh, tradition. Now certainly Eastern philosophies and religions have their ethics and have their morality, but it's not based upon being 
an evil, bad person. Um, a standard greeting in the Eastern world is namaste or namaste, which literally means I greet the divine in you. I recognize, by definition, that you are divine. And that's who I greet. I put my hands together. I bear no weapon. I put my hands together in humility and praise that I am facing another aspect of divinity as I say, Namaste. You see. Um, a lot of people say that. have no idea what it means. Give some thought to that. So, let's look at karma in the biggest picture. Again, not as a religion, but as a philosophy, as a core metaphysical principle. And Aristotle gets credit for coining the term or bringing it into popularity 2,500 years ago. Metaphysics is Greek for behind physics or above physics or beyond physics because Aristotle, just like Plato and Socrates before him and Pythagoras and, and the other Greek, Greco-Roman philosophers, um, they saw the physical world as basically an illusion, as do Eastern philosophers, as a reflection in physical dense form of God's ideation. Uh, Plato, particularly a student of Socrates, a teacher of Aristotle, Plato's philosophy is called idealism because Plato taught that what was true were concepts or ideas, ideation that existed in the mind of God so that the truth of a rose, Plato would say is not in the physical rose itself but in the mind of God and that the actual rose itself that we see in such beautiful form is merely an outpicturing, a reflection or a manifestation of God's ideation. That uh, you might see a brown horse running through the field. Well, the form that is the horse, again, is in God's mind. It's God's idea. That's the truth of the horse in uh, Platonic idealism. Uh, the fact that it's brown or a gray mare again, would be another ideation or concept, and that's where truth is found, not in the mere appearance of something. Of course, in the West, we've lost all of this, and ideation is given way uh, to so-called rationalism, and so we believe that material things are real, even though they're constantly changing, they're perpetually in flux, uh, if they're not alive and organic, if it's made by man, it's in perpetual decay. But even natural things that are alive and reproducing are constantly changing and dancing. And philosophers uh, from the shamans from time out of mind forward have always said, how can you find truth in something that doesn't stand still? 
<laughs> it's always bouncing around and flashing into existence and going out of existence. And my goodness, quantum mechanics proved this seventy years ago, and yet our, our science students in school are, are still being taught that, for example, electrons revolve in a molecule around the nucleus of the molecule. Well, we knew 70 years ago they didn't spin or revolve. They flash in and out of existence as if, uh, uh, what would the word be, uh, experimenting with all possibilities in what many believe to be parallel universes. Uh, but in any event, you know, when you sit in a chair or lean on a table, what supports you are not those electrons nor the protons or the neutrons, the, the, the tiny little bits of mass that exist in matter uh, are almost inconsequential. What gives matter its uh, substance, if you can call it substance, esoterically we would never use the word substance for it, but what it makes it appear to have substance and physical dense reality is the energy that, that binds these tiny particles because the atomic scale of things is roughly similar to a planetary scale where the planets are relatively small compared to the space in between the planets as they go around the sun and so it is with electrons and spinning around in these various shells around the nucleus of a molecule they're like planets spinning around the sun and it's mostly space. Uh, not only in the gases, you know, the low atomic number, hydrogen and helium and such, but even in the uh, the densest materials, you know, lead and iron and zinc and, and, and other heavy metals, so-called, particularly uh, even the ionizing metals like uranium and plutonium, atomic numbers in excess of 200, uh, very, very dense, relatively speaking, but not substantial at all. So, what does karma have to do with any of this? Karma is a law of metaphysics, not of physics. And we can see it manifest in physics, for all metaphysical laws will manifest in physical form. But the student of philosophy has to be aware as we discussed a few weeks ago in this series, that there's a big difference between the appearance of something and its true substance. Substance in philosophy is a metaphysical term for an etheric uh, level of existence that is uh, invisible to the eye. Light does not reflect off the ether, and it doesn't make a sound. It's like... My teacher used to say it's like a Christmas tree. If you take the uh, the lights and the tinsel and the and the little bulbs and that you have hanging on the Christmas tree, and you strip it down to a just a naked tree, I uh, you know I I like even a better example of the Invisible Man with Claude Rains. If you've ever seen that film, or I think Kevin Bacon was, did a movie once that. Where he, I forget the name of it, the hollow man or the straw man or something, he was invisible. But 
you know, if, if Claude Rains, when they, the invisible man, they take the bandages off him, he's invisible, but if you put a hat on his head, it doesn't fall to the floor. He may be invisible, but there's still an energy form or an energy field, and that's what's substantial, you see. And this is found in Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy. These, uh, this is the alternative to the so-called rationalist idea that the physical dense, even though it's in decay and constantly flashing and changing, um, could not be real if it's always flashing and changing. Remember the Heraclitus line, no man ever steps into the same river twice. And so everything around you is swirling and dancing. How could that be substantial? Physical dense is the appearance of things. And light reflects off it, and you see it, and you say, there it is, it's real, because I can see the light reflected off it. But it's in decay. <clears throat> You're in Maui, it would just mold. And, 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 and so it is. The substantial, the metaphysician, going back thousands and thousands of years to pre-religious times, the substantial, the philosopher would say, is the invisible framework or template that lies beneath it. And this is the field of metaphysics, beyond or behind physics. And this is what karma is about. Universal law. It's not about the appearance of karma or punishment or payback, but a law that says, basically, we live in a cause and effect universe. For every action, there is a, in Newtonian physics, an equal and opposite reaction. So what goes around comes around. Uh, you go where you look. You get what you expect. And as we'll discuss a little bit here today, because I can only scratch the surface, there is no such thing as bad karma any more than there is bad gravity or bad electromagnetism. It's a law. It can't be good or bad. It could appear to be good or bad, right? But karma is just a law that says there are consequences for not only your behavior, but for your consciousness. Consciousness has consequences. Say that three times fast. All right. So it's not just, again, this is the Western model I'm trying to escape and, and delineate here. It's not just that you, that the karma is an Eastern concept of you're going to be punished for your bad deeds the way we're all being punished for Eve eating the apple, right? But that your consciousness, your awareness, your thought patterns and belief systems and the feelings that you fixate and obsess on are magnetic, cohesive, and radiatory and attract circumstances and events and relationships and opportunities. Karma is law. So where do we begin with this? Well, again, we have to 
move beyond this Western notion found in the three monotheistic religions that we've already mentioned, Judaism, Christianity, Muslim, Islam, we have to go beyond this idea of God as micromanager, as if life is a big Xbox game, and God is at the joystick uh, micromanaging life. This is insulting, uh, not only to God, but certainly insulting to men and women of conscience. I discussed this a few weeks ago, too. It certainly bears repeating the idea that all over the United States, before a high school football game or a basketball game, there's a little prayer. Um, not to do your best, if it were only that, you know, praying for the strength to do your best, that would be one thing, but often as not, the prayer is for God to intervene in the high school football game. Well, now both sides are praying to God to intervene in this high school football game. And the, and the idea that God would do that, and yet not intervene in world hunger, or war, or disease, illness, malaria, cancer, what have you know, God's too busy to intervene in these great issues, but will intervene in a high school football game is just absurd and insulting and demeaning to religion, and yet it goes on on a weekly basis. Few people ever even think about it, because we've been raised with a pretty simplistic view of the most divine, the most high, as a micromanager who creates human beings in its image, but like the Electoral College, I guess, doesn't really trust <laughs> that we're capable of doing things, so he's going to constantly intervene. There is a philosophy in Christianity, especially called deism, where the Most High or the Divine creates the universe and then goes on vacation. And chaos rules, because God has now uh, uh, pulled himself out of the equation and wants little to do with it and leaves us to our own devices. Well, there's a middle way <laughs> between the deist view that God is completely removed from the picture, having once created the universe, or God is dead, and the micromanager God is the idea of God as law, as unyielding, unchanging. There's another dichotomy. If, if the physical world is constantly changing, all things must pass, everything is in flux, then the source of that, the spiritual world, would have to, one could reason, be unchanging, be fixed, and immutable, eternal, and infinite. See the dichotomy there? It's a nice little dichotomy. So, karma and reincarnation are law according to this philosophy that, again, is revered in the East and understood much more completely in the East than in the West. In the last 50 or 60 years, You'll hear Western people, Europeans and Americans, talking about karma, but 
too often it's God the micromanager punishing you. That's your karma. You know, you did a bad thing. Or you had an opportunity to do a good thing and you did not do it. So you are a bad little boy and now God is going to punish you and that's called karma. No, it's not. No, it's not. Karma is simply law. And Christ taught it as you reap what you sow. In other words, if I've got a, a, a bag of radish seeds but I want to grow corn... There's nothing I can do to make these radish seeds become corn or anything other than what they are seeds of and by and for, radishes. So if, on the other hand, I want radishes and I've got radish seeds, killer. I'll put the radish seeds in the ground and they'll come up radishes. And if I let them bolt and flower, I'll get uh, hopefully some pollination going, uh, get a radish flower and some more seeds. Mostly we just want the root, right? We want the tuber of the radish that grows underneath the ground. And so if I wanted corn, I would have to have kernels of corn. And then when we go to the idea of, well, you know, Christ also talked about planting many seeds because some will fall on rocky soil and will not take root and others will be parched by the sun and will not grow um, in fact some of my vegetable garden didn't didn't last while I was growing and so you plant more than you think you're going to need because you're going to do some pruning and some won't grow because of rocky soil or not enough water or maybe even too much water or too much sun depending on what it is that you're growing and so, you reap what you sow is a really beautiful allegory of karma, but be careful when you think about comparing weeds to flowers and vegetables and fruits. Because, again, this is where we begin to go down that slippery slope of good karma and bad karma. Like, if I plant food... That's and that grows, and I reap what I sow. That's good, but the fact that the earth is fertile and it's also growing weeds because the wind blew some seeds in there, or some birds flew overhead and and uh, dropped some seeds in there with a the little fertilizer packets. Uh, that's bad. The weeds are bad. You see, flowers, vegetables, good. Weeds, bad. So you can have good, you reap what you sow, and bad, you reap what you sow. Again, it's nonsense. Any gardener will tell you weeds are good to a point. They help aerate the soil. They help fix nitrogen. Uh, you don't want them to grow full term. You're going to be in there cultivating and pruning and, and doing a little weeding, but that's all good for the plants that stay behind. Weeds can be beautiful. I mean, one man's weed is another man's flower. You know, they can be absolutely beautiful. And so keep this in mind. There is no bad karma. There is no good karma. There is just the consequences of your actions, the consequences of your behavior. But also, 
they got to go to this, too, before we go to your questions. Consequences of your thoughts. There are consequences. Maybe you, maybe you say, well, I, I, I thought along these lines, and I fixated along these so-called negative lines, something that was selfish or evil or wrong or unethical. But it's not that karma is going to punish you for that. It's just that the consequence of what you think and feel as well as what you say and do are going to be harvested. Not to punish you for being bad or to send you to the eternal damnation in the lake of fire. These primitive ideas of, of you know, I say primitive, I, I need to be careful. I don't oppose religion, I just see it largely as elementary school. And for those that find it valuable in terms of fellowship and, and worship and a code of ethics and morality, uh, abundanza, good for you, that's better than nothing. But it is elementary school, and the more fundamental and rigid the religion, then, you know, the more elementary it really is. And it's not that it's wrong, it's just that it's incomplete, and there's so much more. If karma is law, and that if your thoughts and feelings, as well as your speech and behavior, has consequences in kind, then we're not looking at, at being rewarded for being a good little boy or girl and being punished for being a bad little boy or ba a bad girl, that that's the that's maybe the idea of parenting the way humans do it, but that's not the way the universe raises us. Again, the idea of karma as a metaphysical law and reincarnation is part of it. You can't really separate it. Is that all of your behavior, your speech, and yes, even your thoughts and feelings, ultimately the consciousness behind all of that. It's the consciousness or the awareness behind the thought, behind the belief system, behind the feelings, behind the speech and behind the action that is magnetic and radiatory and cohesive and creates consequences in the same way that a seed will grow to be what its destiny is and nothing else. Right? The acorn will be an oak tree. It will not be a willow or a birch or a maple. A maple seed will not be an oak tree or a willow or a birch and so on and so forth. So, Consciousness has frequency, and there are higher, more refined, more divine frequencies, and then there would have to be lower, less sophisticated, uh, more exclusive, either-or, more crude frequencies. But whatever is the frequency, the vibrational nature of the consciousness behind the thought the belief system, the feeling, the speech, the behavior, that will attract your karma in terms of relationships, in terms of opportunity, 
in terms of events, circumstances, and situations. And the whole idea is that this is the way we grow. This is an alternative to the view of falling from the Garden of Eden, being bad in God's image, but now you're rotten and stinky and bad, and now you need to be saved. Karma is a different, completely, not, it's not other than, it, it is like more inclusive, a bigger picture view of how the universe unfolds itself or how it develops. In terms of Western philosophy, one philosopher that came pretty close to an understanding of this, uh, Eastern philosophy of karma, was uh, Hegel and his famous uh, dialectic, where he talked about the universe unfolding in a process where any thesis, any postulate or, or statement of the way things are, would, by its own nature, generate a different point of view. It would not have to be opposite, although the very fact that you have a truth that is then disagreed with, to the simple-minded person, any difference is an opposite, right? That's one of the things that stress does to you. If it's different, it's opposite. <laughs> There's only two colors in the crayon box, black and white, sorry. And... So Hegel said, well, that would be the antithesis, or the antithesis. So any thesis or statement of truth gives rise to disagreement, or an antithesis, out of which, in time, grows naturally a synthesis, a blend, a middle way, a little of this and a little of that. All right. And again, the middle way, the mystic's path, the third way, is an Eastern concept in Hinduism and Buddhism. But Hegel didn't know that. He sort of figured it out on his own, I suspect. It seems to be. And so he had a similar idea of the universe unfolding in a natural way. You look at Darwin and natural selection and, and mutation. Uh, you see another variation on the urge of life to grow, the longing or the innate intelligence in all of the kingdoms, in mineral, in plant, in animal, in human, in, yeah, I do mean even in mineral, to grow, to change, you know, volcanoes, I'm sitting out in the middle of the ocean as I talk to you here, 2,400 miles from the nearest, nearest landmass because there's a volcano that's adding to the real estate out here. While uh, other areas are eroding and the mountains are becoming smaller and, and the continents are drifting and there's weather and all of this evidence that Gaia, the Earth, is a living thing, a life form and it has its breath and it has its moods. and So all of the kingdoms, even the mineral kingdom, is organic and and part of the one life and growing and evolving and mutating and and transforming itself and transfiguring itself and moving up this ladder or this this spiral staircase, you see. So that's the the context in which I'd like you to begin to think of karma. 
there could not be bad karma any more than bad gravity, I mentioned earlier, or bad electromagnetism. If, God forbid, I go outside and fall down the stairs, that wasn't bad gravity that pulled me down the stairs. You could say, well, it was bad karma. Uh, (laughs) But the karma wasn't bad. Maybe the fall was a bad thing, but that didn't make karma bad or gravity a bad thing. Once I just fell down the stairs. Was that a product of my consciousness? Yes. Well, how do you know? Well, if I'd paid attention, I probably wouldn't have fallen down the stairs. I I was not conscious of what I was doing. I didn't pay attention. Somewhere when I was about two years old, I learned to walk, and by the age of three, I figured I had stairs down. So I'm not paying attention, and I slipped and I fell, right? You say, well, wait a minute, that's not karma. Uh, karma means you deserved it. Really? See? Aren't we back to praying for God to intervene now in high school football? Is that Do we really want to stay in the 21st century with a God as micromanager version? Life is a big Xbox game. Okay. I, I, you know, God on the joystick trying to go on to the next level. I, I, I don't think so. At least what I want to do is not tell you the way things are. Uh, this is a mystery school and the wisdom traditions of all philosophies and all times all cultures all societies and all ethnicities and there are golden threads that run through them and, and karma is one of those and it embraces uh, but needs to be understood as a higher law or a more complete law not a superior law, but just more more truthful than the idea of constantly being judged as good or bad, or right or wrong, and don't piss off the deity because he will punish you. He's That's all he does all day is hand out punishment in one form or another. So we have to throw away this Western bias if we're going to get a bigger understanding of Consciousness has consequences. Mind precedes matter. Everything that exists around you is an outpicturing, a manifestation, or a reflection of your awareness. So now, the law of attraction, can, as described in the secret, but also in the metaphysical traditions of all time, can be better understood. The law of attraction is karma, is you reap what you sow, is the golden rule, as coined by both Moses and Confucius, that you better treat people the way you want to be treated, because it's going to come back. Uh, you know, whatever you give out, then completes the circle and comes back to you in kind. It's got nothing to do with punishment or reward. That's the spin or the bias that we've put on it in the West because of our fixation on the idea of once divine, now sinning, now bad, in need of redemption to rejoin the divine. The divine. Did I say define the divine? <laughs> define the divine. 
Remember, the word sin really means to miss the mark. And there were there were countless thousands, countless hundreds of thousands of people, Christians and others, killed by the Crusaders and the Inquisition for believing that a sin was a mistake. Um, Meister Eckhart, a Jesuit priest, was found guilty on 75 counts of heresy, and chief among them, a Jesuit priest found guilty of heresy by the Inquisition, and chief among them was his teaching that you should never wish that you had not sinned. For how else can you learn except to screw up and make a mistake? Well, the church went crazy that he was teaching that, and said, no, sin is bad, you're bad. You see, the preoccupation is the church wants you to need the church. The church needs to be needed. And uh, I'm tempted to go off into a, a thing about the church and materialism, but I'll save that for a, another day, because I don't want to pick on just one religion. Again, I, I, I do want to honor religion. I'm not anti-religious. I'm, I'm anti the exclusive nature of much fundamentalism but I see it as a necessary stepping stone to the more inclusive philosophies and I assume that's what brings you to these mystery school webinars uh, every Sunday so uh, there's a little introduction to the idea of karma as law again no such thing as bad karma you're not punished by your karma. And also, I want to repeat, it's not limited only to actions. You're not, karma is not something that comes into play. The consequences of consciousness are in all things. Again, not just what you said or did, but what you're thinking. And, and the belief systems that cause you to think and feel in certain ways, the, the habitual ways of thinking that you have, um, it's really what you do with it. You have a consciousness. If, For example, I, I'll give you an example. If so much of religion is hung up on sex and sexuality, and yet our minds are driven to spend a significant number of time thinking about such a thing, and so what can you do with that to raise the frequency to redeem those thoughts and feelings even if you never take action on them even if you never say anything out loud um, about a pornographic thought that you may have had or some sort of negative fantasy what you can do is use your awareness to lift the frequency from well I'll, I'll just say it simply from lust to love that could be a good example. Or from holding a grudge to forgiving, from vengeance to compassion. This is the resurrection. This is the salvation. This is the idea of, in any given moment, you have the ability with your consciousness to enhance or to improve the consequences of your consciousness, to lift the frequency the vibration of that karma from again water to wine or or lead to gold it's also the allegory of the uh, yeast and the bread raising the bread 
go to the questions and the comments and see what you all have to say. And if you are listening live with us today and you're on the web, rather than the telephone, you can use the box in front of you. Just put your name in the city and say hi, if nothing else. Only a few people do this, but it's always nice to be able to say hello to a few and respond to a few of your comments and, and questions. And then we'll do a little guided imagery uh, exercise here, a visualization or a guided meditation exercise on this whole concept of the law of cause and effect, karma, in, uh, in metaphysics and in the great mystical traditions, mystical traditions of uh, time out of mind. So let's start in, uh, let's start at the bottom of the list. I take these uh, in the order in which they come in. So first of all, we have Carol in La Habra. Says hello again, Michael. Welcome home. And hello to Doreen. Doreen just took her daughter to the airport. She was visiting part of the time that I was gone from Los Angeles, and Doreen took her back to the airport today. So thank you for that, Carol. I'll pass that along. In Tucson, Lorelai, as usual, is with us. She says, Hi, Michael. Great class. Thanks for making my week. Peace and love to you and Doreen. In Irvine, Robert says, Hello, Michael. Excellent topic. He says, The word karma is thrown around so loosely today, it's easy to forget the true meaning I wonder if we do something during our lifetime that is wrong, and then later on in life we learn through spiritual growth the wrong that we have done. Is the awareness of the wrongdoing enough? Or must we still experience a consequence for the wrong we have committed? Excellent class. Have a wonderful week. Well, thank you, Robert. Well, there's no way of knowing that, because there's no way of knowing the nature of the realization if you consider that what it's really about is realizing comprehending or understanding why the selfish interest only seemed to be truly in your interest as you become to realize in this situation and that circumstance and as a result of this event over here, that my selfish behavior is really not in my interest and that a more harmonious way of behaving for the greater good of all concerned is where my self-interest truly lies, then the nature of the self rises from separated toward unified. This is esoteric redemption at one atonement and salvation, don't you see? The more we understand the self, the less separate and the more harmonious we become. This is why the program I do with Steve is called Finding Your Self, capital S-E-L-F, all caps, finding that higher self, that true self, in paradise, in that level of mind, that we go to when we meditate or contemplate. The more you know about who you are, the more conscious and aware any of us become, the more refined the nature of the self. We don't, you know, the idea of Q 
killing the ego or dying to the ego is also misunderstood. That that Eastern philosophy, if you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Um, killing desire and killing the separate nature is by the time that gets translated into English in the Western left brain, it's it's not understood in the proper context. We in Western mystery traditions talk about the spiritual betrothal or the alchemical wedding where the higher self appropriates the ego self, the the harmonious self of the soul, the higher self, like a big brother or like a husband or a wife steps in and protects, appropriates, mothers and nurtures, fathers, the poor, separated, uh, discreet ego that is so frightened and so lonely and feels so alienated that it lives in a you-or-me world. And esoteric redemption and resurrection, as we've discussed today in this lesson on karma, has much more to do with the nature of the self evolving or unfolding to a more harmonious self, a more unitive self, where the you-or-me world becomes a you-and-me world. So, to whatever extent we get that lesson along the way, that would affect the particular consequences. I think once we get past the idea that we're not being punished by the universe, um, I think we're going to be enjoying the rewards of that level of awareness. I'll just put it that way. In uh, Portland, John is with us, and he says, Hello, Michael. Good day. Great subject today. Thank you, John, in Portland. Nice to hear from you. And uh, Greg in Mission Hill says, Hello, Michael, and hello to Doreen and everybody else that's uh, listening. And uh, Greg, nice to hear from you. I got your email. If this is the Greg I'm thinking it is, and uh, give her love to Julie. Okay, let's do our meditation. It's already 10 after, and uh, we'll do a little quick visualization exercise, and then I'll let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and reflect a little bit on the nature of your karma. Because, again, it's uh, it's nothing to be feared. There is nothing to be feared in this life. Do not, you know, the idea of God-fearing, that's a connotation of fear that has become obsolete. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. God-fearing is uh, to be awestruck, to be blown away, um, to be gobsmacked. To, <laughs> to, uh, that's what God-fearing means. Uh, OMG, right? It's not to actually be afraid. There is nothing to be afraid of. <clears throat> And uh, I think that's a nice place to begin our visualization meditation here. So, provided this is a good time for you, pump up the pillows and sit back in the chair or on your cushion or your sofa. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. And particularly as you exhale... Create and sense a feeling of letting go.
As you inhale, slowly now, very slowly through the nose, ideally. Imagine bringing in strength and power. Hold for just a moment and then exhale just as slowly. And This is where you feel the letting go. And after doing this three or four times, allow your breathing to just sort of find its natural rhythm, its natural cadence. And put your attention for a few moments on the bottom of your nose and watch your body breathing itself. And whenever distracted by the mind, as soon as you realize you've been distracted, listen to the sound of my voice. Let go of the distraction. Don't struggle, just let go. And gently redirect your attention to the bottom of your nose. And without any effort whatsoever, unclutch let go, detach and become mindfully aware of your body breathing itself without direction of any kind freeing you to be the watcher or the witness not so extended, not quite so out into the world still in the world but not really of the world so much instead one who witnesses the flow of consciousness the flow of your thoughts and your feelings But you're not the thoughts, you're not the feelings, you're merely the witness. And in the same way, you can watch your body breathing itself, all by itself. And you're not the breather, you're the watcher. In the same way, you can watch your thoughts and feelings. And be so much more than simply the thoughts and feelings. but the one who determines the quality of the thoughts and feelings. You are the higher self as you become more and more relaxed, feeling safer and safer. Your awareness grows and expands so that it's much easier to see the consequences that you might have otherwise missed that not only were unintended but of which you had no awareness at all and as the watcher however you are the one that say can, can empower a thought and say yes more thoughts like this You become the one that can disagree with the negative and say, I don't want to go any farther down this trail. This is too malevolent. 
to selfish. The lower self, the separated self, is leading me down this dead end. And you're the one that makes that decision as a result of the expanded awareness. that dawns upon you in this level of deep relaxation. Be the witness. Consider, before any significant event in your life, a conversation that's meaningful and important or maybe a job interview or a conversation with your spouse with your kids or your parents that you do something that you rarely have done before you actually come to this level of paradise thinking you do what you're doing now you sit and relax and with a still body and a quiet mind in a calm, emotional nature. You rehearse that conversation and you think about what you learned of karma and consequence. And you know that not only will your deeds, your actions, your behavior, and, and of course your speech as well have consequences. But even your thoughts your belief systems and those subtle currents of emotional feeling that underlie them you become aware of those and you see the bigger picture and you understand the motive and I want you to consider that in so doing you actually raise the frequency of your awareness it becomes more refined and you move closer to the divine source of all things not unlike climbing a mountain or even a hill that allows you to see farther and farther into the distance and the farther up the hill you climb the more elevated your perspective the farther to the horizon in all directions you see more more completely you see the past you see the present you see the future in a more complete perspective you make better decisions you realize what you might not have realized before climbing the mountain before coming to this paradise of perfect peace and ideal relaxation karma says not only do your actions your behavior your speech your physical health even your aging your longevity Not only are these things a reflection, but your 
and your emotional feelings are reflections of consciousness. The ultimate awareness you become when you sit quietly like this. And that consciousness in these states of mind radiates or emanates. It is also magnetic. For like attracts like on the spiritual plane. And consciousness is also cohesive. It binds things together. Consciousness radiates, attracts that which is similar, and binds it together. Consciousness is radiatory, magnetic, and cohesive. Raise the consciousness and you refine and make more pure that which you attract, like lead to gold, or maybe even better said, 14 carat to 18 carat to 22 carat, making more pure, burning off the dross, so to speak, eliminating the impurities of thought that come from the fear of appearing to be separated and alienated in this world of separated forms. Be the consciousness that harmonizes radiatory, magnetic, and cohesive. Be that consciousness. For karma is always at work. It could not be otherwise. And that every effect is born of a cause. And that we do indeed reap what we sow. And we go where we look. And what we put our attention on is magnified. And we tend to get what we expect to get. But normal consciousness, our thoughts are so chaotic, so mixed up. So, at times, at cross-purposes with other thoughts, there's so much canceling out, internal struggles, tugs of war, that makes it difficult to see the consequences of consciousness. So we meditate that from this elevated perspective we realize think of the word realize more remind yourself how easily you can practice this For in a few moments, I'm going to suggest that you open your eyes wide awake, alert, feeling rested, really relaxed.
but also energized and revitalized and feeling really good and hopeful and enthusiastic, knowing that you can at any time on demand take a breath, relax, and be ever more aware in the moment of the karma you're magnetizing in your life. The lessons learned that life may unfold through you in an ever more conscious, loving, and peaceful way. For the greater good of all concerned, including you, you are part of the all that's concerned. It is, <laughs> it is no sacrifice to raise your vision to the greater good of all. You're part of the all, and the rewards are outrageous. Beware of the separated self and its demands based on the word or. Move instead to a you and me world. And see if the me that is you doesn't benefit from caring about others first and giving what it is you wish to receive. In all things, even business, Look at what it is you want to receive and give that away first. Now, listening to the sound of my voice, reorient yourself to the room in which you sit. Remember where you are and what it will look like in a moment when you open your eyes. Remind yourself that you've got a really good memory, especially when you sit in this wonderfully expanded level of mind. And that it'll be easy to remember these lessons and review them the next time you sit quietly, later today, certainly by tomorrow, for just 10 or 15 minutes. Remember who you are and what you're for. And the lessons today of karma the law of cause and effect. The law of attraction. Take a slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, open your eyes now. Wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, feeling fine. Remember that these programs are available Perpetually, it's a replay, anytime, 24-7. Use the Send One to a Friend gadget on our website, theagelesswisdom.com. Know that all of these programs are absolutely free. All of the articles under Wisdom Nuggets are absolutely free at our second allied site, focusedpassion.com. All of the articles are absolutely free. And seven premium podcasts are free, including the five-part Family Learning Hour, an incredible series on how to learn. And if you can see your way clear to be a contributor for just 13 pennies a day, 99 cents a week, 3.96 a month, then you can add to that collection. You'll start with seven programs and you get another program. Steve and I doing the best work we've ever done. And Forward those without charge to as many people as you'd like, as often as you'd like, 
And in that way, help us change the world. Change the world by changing yours. Share what you care about. The Mystery School and the Finding Yourself in Paradise podcasts. Thanks very much for being here. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Talk to you next week. From Maui, aloha.